Good morning. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be here with you today. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Stan, and I serve here as one of the pastors, and I have the privilege today of being the teaching pastor and leading us one more time through the parable that Jesus told about the wealthy man, his three employees, and eight bags of gold. But before we step into that story, I want to join Pastor Cassie in welcoming everyone. We know that on Sunday morning, you have so many choices, so many things you could do, but yet you chose to be here at Grace Covenant. So if you're joining us online, welcome. If you're here in the room, welcome. We are so glad that you chose to be with us today. I want to pray for our time together, but before I do, I want you to do something. Uh, Would you turn to the person on your right and your left? You might turn to the person behind you or in front of you, and would you say this? God's got a good word for you today. God's got a good word for you today. Would you do that? (laughs) You did that with great exuberance. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that today you have a good word for us from your word. So we submit ourselves to that right now. I ask, we ask that today, the predominant voice that we hear in this place is the voice of the Holy Spirit over every other voice. We ask that you cause us to grow as the message of your word is planted deep in our hearts. So right now, we agree, we come into agreement that we want to align with your word, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, and everyone who agreed said, amen. Amen. Well, here's our story that we've been looking at in short form. Listen to this. A man prepared to take a trip to a distant land. All of his wealth he placed in his servant's hands. One got most, another got some. The last got a bit. Two worked hard to double their gains, all for the master's benefit. For fear, the last servant chose not to work. Instead, he schemed a way that his master could still get repaid. He buried the money in the ground, and guess what? There it stayed. Upon the master's return, two gave account of what they had won. Faithful servants, the master praised. Job well done. The lazy servant received his master's reprimand. You could have went to the bank. You know what I demand. Faithful servants were given more. Their master's trust they earned. The lazy servant, a different story. His master, he had spurned. Just a simple, poetic, even a Dr. Seuss-like retelling of a story that's really captured our attention now for a third week. Three men, yet two very different stories. All had the same opportunity. Two were faithful entrepreneurs, but the last was not. Instead, he chose fear over faithful action. And because of his fear... He was unwilling to do what could be done when it should be done. He was a take-no-risk, play-it-safe kind of man. This week, as I've been contemplating this story, as I've been preparing this message, I've been forced to ask myself, which servant am I most like? Am I a take-no-risk, play-it-safe kind of man? Do I prefer comfort over taking risk 
for the sake of others and for the sake of God's call on my life? Do I fail to do what could be done when it should be done? And this morning, I would ask you the same. Would you, throughout this message, take time to consider and ask yourself the question, which servant am I most like? Which servant am I most like? I'd like for you to take out your teaching notes. And as you're taking out your teaching notes, uh, I'd like for you to look at the very opening statement in your notes. And I have a question about that statement. Did you by chance, do you by chance find that first statement in your teaching notes a bit interesting, a bit curious, even a bit challenging? You see, if the first seven words of that statement aren't interpreted in light of the parable that we're looking at, they can become a challenge to the story of Jesus, everything that we know about Jesus and the gospel story. And the seven words that I'm referring to is are Jesus didn't die to keep you safe. Those are curious words, aren't they? Jesus didn't die to keep you safe. Let's talk about that for a moment. In the broadest sense, as it relates to our salvation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are our certain, undeniable, unchangeable, eternal safeguards that we are safe from the power of sin and death. Do you agree with that this morning? We are safe. John 3.16 says, if we will believe, we will not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, we are safe. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That means we are safe. In Romans 8, chapter, uh, verses 35 through 39, ask the question, what can separate us from the love of God? And the answer is absolutely nothing, which means we are safe. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, We are safe. In 1868, Fanny Crosby penned the hymn, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. And here's a portion of what she wrote. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe from corroding care, safe from the world's temptations. Sin cannot harm me there. Free from the blight of sorrow, free from my doubts and fears, only a few more trials, only a few more tears, safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast, there by his love overshadowed, sweetly my soul shall rest. And Fanny Crosby understood because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are safe without question, without doubt, without confusion. Because of the finished work of the cross, because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are safe. But when we consider all 26 words of this statement and we interpret it in light, in context of this parable, we can interpret it in a different light. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. Jesus died to make us dangerous He died to open a whole new world of opportunity to us. What on earth could this possibly mean? And I would ask that we would consider this. In Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus was sending out the 12 disciples to a lost Israel, he commissioned them with these words. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received freely give. 
And then in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, we find Jesus commissioning words to us. And it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus has commissioned us with the same message that he commissioned the disciples to declare. And that, that message is the message of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is near. And the message of the kingdom of heaven is that God is an eternal and sovereign God who has complete rule over his universe. And more personally, it means that God is an eternal and sovereign God who has complete rule over the hearts and lives of those who are willing to submit to his authority. You see, that message, the message of the kingdom is very dangerous to a self-sufficient, narcissistic, I'm in charge of my life, choose your own truth world system that opposes the imposing of godly beliefs and godly values. The message of the kingdom is a freely you have received, freely give message, and that message is dangerous because it's at odds with the messages of the culture that we find ourselves living in today. So when Jesus died, yes, he died to keep us safe from sin and death, But in light of this parable, he didn't just die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. He died to open up a whole new world of opportunity to us. And that opportunity is to boldly declare that the kingdom of God is here and that life in the kingdom is the best way of life. In fact, it's the only way of life because it's eternal life. It's a message of safety. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. And albeit this message is a dangerous message for some, and though we boldly declare it, we also have to remember that when we declare this message, it must always be tempered with truth, love, and grace. This is very important that we understand this. Listen, you will never guilt, you will never manipulate. You will never shame anyone into the kingdom. If you've been trying that, please stop. It doesn't work. It doesn't draw them to the kingdom. It repels them from the kingdom. Not because God's not at work, but because we're counteracting what God wants to do because we're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to temper it with grace. The message of the kingdom is the work of the Holy Spirit planting it deep down in a person's heart and causing it to take root. And if you have any doubt of this, pull out your wallet and look at your driver's license. You'll notice it does not say Holy Spirit. That's a joke. <laughs> we also need to recognize that the message of kingdom is not um, limited to verbal declaration. In fact, I would say the verbal declaration of the message of the kingdom should be our last resort. Instead, we should recognize that God has placed in all of us spiritual gifts and natural talents and abilities and a variety of resources. 
He's given each of us an abundance of creativity and time and energy. We are all a treasure chest overflowing with what God has placed inside of us. And every day as we go about life and we encounter a countless number of people, we have opportunities to make withdrawals from the treasure chest, the treasures that God has placed in us. And we have opportunity to deposit those in the lives of others through our actions, through simply being the love of Jesus, through living out truth and grace, the message of Jesus Christ. And when we withdraw and we make these deposits in other people, not only are we showing our love for God because of our obedience, but we're showing other people how much God loves them. God has blessed each of us with the ability and opportunity to give away the gospel, and it's up to us to determine how we will use our abilities and act on the opportunities. And so having said this, we want to make sure that we don't end up in the same dilemma as the third servant. So let's look at his story. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 24 through 30. You can turn there, you can find it on your phone, or you can read on the screens. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gather where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's do a little bit of comparison. The third servant, the lazy servant, he didn't think, he didn't work, He didn't risk, he didn't try, he made excuses, he did nothing more than bury the gold in the ground. In comparison, the first two servants did their work promptly. They did their work with perseverance. They did their work with success and they were prepared to give an account. The action or lack of action of the lazy servant showed that his priority was safety. In his mind, it was safer to bury the money in the ground than to take the action and take it to the bank where it could gain interest. The third servant was lazy, and to be lazy is to be unfaithful. Let me ask the question that I asked earlier. Which servant do we find ourselves more like? The first two servants are the third servant. There's some really important lessons that we can learn from the third servant, but before we talk about those, I think there's some very general principles that we need to draw 
from this parable as a whole. I want to give you three. The first one is that God gives different gifts and different opportunities. Listen, if you have been bemoaning that you just don't have talent and you don't have ability and you don't have creativity, stop that self-talk because it's a lie. You were created in God's image and God has placed in you No one in this room is excluded. God has placed in every person in this room, every person watching online, spiritual gifts and natural talents and abilities. God has placed within you great treasures for you to use for the sake of the kingdom. The second thing is it's not about how much gifting or opportunity that matters. It's how we use what we've been given. In other words, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. You know what? You may not have as much spiritual gift or natural talent or ability or creativity as the person sitting right beside you right now. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You can still use what you've been given to your greatest extent. And the third thing is we may not be equal in talent or opportunity, but we sure can be equal in effort. Again, use what you have. Listen. This is a message that we hear so often, God has placed spiritual gifts in you. Let me say it this way this morning. For every person in this room, God has placed treasure inside of you. You were not forgotten. You were not overlooked. You may not have recognized what those spiritual gifts and those treasures are, but they're there. And now it's time to uncover them because there is a world that is lost. And there is a world system that opposes the imposing of godly beliefs and values. Yet we've been given the message of the kingdom and we are to go about spreading those godly beliefs and values. It's the story of scripture. It's the story of the gospel. And we are short on time and we can't delay. We have to wake up, the world is lost, and we are not. Let me, let me say that, the world is lost, and we are not. We know the God of the universe, and that God who is the creative God created us in his image, therefore we are a creative people. We can't delay anymore. What about the third servant? What about this guy? What do we learn from his story? Well, the ultimate lesson that we have to learn is that we have to live fully aware. We have to live fully aware, each one of us, that there is a day of accountability in our future. It was very obvious in the story of these three men that there was a day of accountability. Not one of them got by without giving an account of what they had done with what they had been given. The same is true for each one of us. This is a sobering thought. It's a sobering fact, but there is a day of accountability for each one of us. If you're in doubt, listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. It's not a, it's not a judgment of salvation. That's already been taken care of. 
But we will go before Jesus one day. Nobody in this room is excluded. I'm not excluded. Nobody online, you're not excluded. And you'll be asked a simple question. What did you do with what I've given you? And you'll have to give account. I'll have to give an account. It's a simple question. Let me ask again, which servant are we more like? Are we more like the first two servants or like the third servant? The second thing is that we should live with an awareness that fear is limiting. It's a limiting factor that can rob us of our potential and possibilities. The third service of his own admission said, I was afraid. I was afraid and I hid the money in the ground. Fear paralyzes us. Fear hinders us from taking action with the treasure that God has placed inside of us. Mark Batterson writes, at the end of our lives, our greatest regrets will be the God-ordained opportunities we left at the table, the God-given passions we didn't pursue, and the God-sized dreams that we didn't go after because we let fear dictate our decisions. We all have a choice. We can let fear guide us, or we can let faith guide us. Let me tell you that with faith, Though it's risky, there are no regrets, none whatsoever. Here's the third thing. We should live with an awareness that laziness can choose comfort and complacency over a life of possibilities. As I was thinking about this this week, I I just began to think back to the stories in Scripture. What if Noah had played it safe and not taken the risk of building the ark? Well, we probably wouldn't be here right now. Uh, What if Moses had played it safe and not taken the risk of going before Pharaoh? What if Queen Esther had played it safe and not taken the risk to go before the king on behalf of her people? What if Joshua had played it safe and not taken the risk of walking around the walls of Jericho for seven days, one time each day and seven times on the seventh day? He didn't play it safe. He took the risk. What if Mary and Joseph had said, you know, that dream, I'm not sure about that. I'm going to play it safe. I'm not going to take the risk because what will people think? We'd be in bad shape right now. And what if Jesus, what if Jesus decided to play it safe? What if in the garden his prayer had been, guess what, I'm not going to the cross because that's risky, I'll die. Instead, he took the risk and he died for us. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's a freely, we have received, freely give kingdom. Mark Batterson also writes, if you do the natural, it sets God up to do the supernatural. Miracles happen at the place where our grit meets God's grace. In other words, there's a partnership Finally, we should live with an awareness that playing it safe is actually risky. Acting on God's call and his commission to declare the message of the kingdom, his supreme role as a way of life involves risk, but there's a risk in playing it safe. It's a different kind of risk. It's the risk of achieving nothing. Would we want to stand before Christ on that day and say, nothing, 
I got nothing for you. I sure played it safe, but I didn't take any risk. John Ortberg tells a story of how after the death of his grandmother Florence and while his grandfather was going through things that had been stored away in the attic, he came across a, a box of dishes. His first thought was to donate the dishes, but when he looked a little bit, he realized they were blue, and that was John's mother, Kathy. That was her favorite color. So he asked Kathy, would you like the dishes? Kathy went to the attic expecting to find a... Um, run-of-the-mill kind of dinnerware. But much to her surprise, as she opened up the box and she began to look at each piece, she saw the most exquisite china that she, she had ever seen. It was Barbarian china. Each plate was hand-painted with a pattern of forget-me-nots. The cups were inlaid with mother-of-pearl. And the plates and the cups were rimmed with gold. Again, it was the most exquisite china that she had ever seen in her life. The story goes that Florence, John Ortberg's grandmother, did not grow up in a wealthy family, and so she received each piece of china one piece at a time. It would come as gifts for special occasions, birthdays, anniversaries, um, whatever it might, graduations. And each time that she received a piece of china, she would carefully wrap it in tissue paper and she would store it in that box waiting for that day where the special occasion would come. Unfortunately, in her mind, no such special occasion ever came. And so Florence went to her grave never having used perhaps the most valuable gift that she had ever been given. That story has great application. You see, the recipient of a gift has a choice of two responses. And the first response is this. The gift is too valuable and it cannot be risked to be used. It might be used incorrectly, it might not be appreciated. The value of the gift might be understated or it might get broken. You see, leaving the gift in the box and never using it opposes the desire and the intent of the giver. The giver gave the gift to be used. There's a second response, and that response is that the gift is so valuable it must be risked. It must be used. To choose this response is to recognize that the gift must be brought out of the box or it will never, ever be used. Leaving in the gift in the box opposes the desire of the giver. Listen, there is no tragedy like an unopened gift. God has placed treasure within us and we cannot take that for granted and if we play it safe and we're not willing to take the risk to use these valuable gifts that he's placed within us then there are people who are missing out because we decided that our priority was safety 
Maybe we didn't want to look bad, or maybe we thought we wouldn't use the gift correctly, or maybe we thought someone might not admire my gift like I think they should. Maybe I might be offended. Valuable gifts are given to be used. They must be risked. Let me ask you the question again. Which servant are you more like? Are you like the first two servants? Or are you like the third servant? Are you a take no risk, play it safe kind of person? I wanna ask you for a moment to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that the end of your life has come and you've been brought into a small room and in that room are two chairs. One chair's for you and the other chair's for God and that's a really big chair. He gets the big chair. And I want you to imagine that in that room there is a really large screen on the wall. And on that screen, God begins to stream from his This Is Your Life network a movie about your life called What Might Have Been. Imagine sitting with God, looking at your life, seeing what might have been. Imagine seeing what might have been if you had been more daring willing to take the risk to use the gifts that he placed within you. Imagine what might have been if you had been more willing to trust him with your finances and live a most generous life. Imagine what might have been if you were willing to trust him with your relationships so much that you were willing to be truthful and loving in those relationships. Imagine what might have been. And I'm sure that story would look different for each one of us. And, and I don't think that God's going to do that. Maybe we'll be surprised, but I don't think God's going to take us into a room and show us a movie of our lives. But let me tell you, I don't need a movie. I know enough about my past that there are treasures, there are gifts, there are talents that I have failed to use. And I know that far too many times I have played it safe and I have been unwilling to take the risk. And because of that, there are people possibly today who are still waiting to hear the story of Jesus. There are people today who are still waiting for their healing emotionally and physically. You see, I have regrets. And I don't think that you're much different than me. I think as you look back, You can identify missed opportunities. But here's the great news. My life isn't over and your life isn't over. And we still have today and tomorrow and the next day and next week and next month and next year and beyond to begin to withdraw from the treasure inside of us that God has placed in us in a new way and invest it in the lives of people so that they can live out life in the kingdom, the best life, the abundant life. I want you to listen to a song that the worship team is going to sing, and I don't want you to try to join in. I want you to see it more as a prayer. Uh, And then would you just take the words as you're listening to them and turn them up to God? Maybe you would be so bold is that if you recognize that there are regrets in your life that 
as an action of surrender, you would at some point just stand to your feet and say, God, I've been unfaithful. I've been more like the third servant, but I want that to change. And so I ask that you give me faith to make me faithful. I surrender it all to you. Listen.
I'm going to ask everybody in the room if they would stand. Join those who are standing, and I want to just pray over you. Father God, how exciting that you love us so much that you called us into your kingdom. And how exciting that you have deposited such great treasure inside of us. And so today, we make a declaration. We don't want to be like the third servant. We want to be like the first two. We want to work with perseverance. We want to work for your kingdom. We want to declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's the best way of life. And so I pray that we would be a people in whatever way we can. We would be a people who would be willing to take risk every day that we would not play it safe, but we would have faith to step out and risk the gifts that you have given us because they're too valuable to be held inside. I pray that you work that in me and that you work that in every person in this room. And as a result, may our world change. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you're dismissed, perhaps you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You've never said yes to Jesus and you know that that's missing in your life. We have prayer partners that are going to be gathering here at the altars. And if that's you, you could come and talk to them and ask them, can you tell me how to meet Jesus? And they will do it. And if there are others who have needs in the room, please come down and our prayer partners will be more than happy. So prayer partners, if you can begin to come and also our communion tables are open. God bless you. Have a great day. We are so glad that you're here.